hopefully I won't cough through the sermon like I did last week. Got a couple of good nights of sleep here, not coughing all night, so that'll be good. Um, if you'll grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 40 this morning as we continue our story of, of Joseph and uh, as we've been going through Genesis uh, we're we're going to be actually starting in 39 verse 20, but here we're in the two chapters about Joseph, and, and he's been thrown in the prison. I mean, this is pretty sad because this is one of the few historical figures in the Bible that the Bible has nothing negative to say about the person. Think about that for a second. I mean, the Bible just kind of throws it all out there, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, uh, and how God deals with that. But the Bible doesn't talk negative about Joseph at all. Uh, he was beaten and, and thrown into a well by his family, sold into slavery. His father was told that he was killed. He ends up in Potiphar's house and in charge of everything because God has blessed him. Then Potiphar's wife tries to have an affair with him, and he refuses. So therefore, she accuses him of trying to rape her. Um, so now he's in prison. I, I mean, a gross Egyptian dungeon. This is not a nice prison with... TVs and three meals a day and other amenities, and not that prison is nice, but you understand what I'm saying. There is a major difference between the two. He finds himself there, he doesn't deserve it at all, and he's following our merciful God, our loving God, our compassionate God, our powerful God that allows this to happen in his life. This is one of the most confusing and disheartening characteristics about God, I think, that, that, that he really does allow stuff like this in his plan for our lives. Terrible things happen to innocent people, and this is not about karma. Life sometimes is just unfair because sin, or, sin has entered into this world. We don't like this truth about God. But if we don't sit down with this, and try to understand God in, throughout this situation and, and dealing with this. Uh, you know, if and when this happens to us, not necessarily prison, but negative things happen to us or to our children. If we don't recognize early on in our Christian walk that bad things can happen, then what happens? Sometimes we leave the faith very bitter. Now, we do appreciate that God has a perfect plan, but down deep we think... If God's plan was so perfect, why is he allowing me to go through this? If God's plan was so, so perfect, why is, uh, you know, Adrian in the hospital with heart problems right now? I mean, he's gone through enough in his life. I mean, he's only 12 or 13 years old and he's got a pacemaker and his heart's just going, you know, flipping out on him. And we sent out those prayer requests and, you know, that's slowly coming, you know, he's doing a lot better and so forth. But why would God, if we haven't dealt with this stuff, we, we sit back and think, well, why does God even allow this? It's hard to experience difficulty in our lives when we think, where is God? We question mercy. We question grace at that point. Whether maybe we're having to pay for sins uh, that, that, that happened in our past or not, or, or whether God is powerful or not. And, and sometimes we even question the very existence of God. During these times, the devil, who is the enemy of our God, he attempts to do a couple of things for us or to us. He lies to us to begin with. And then he tries to isolate us. He takes us away from the people of God and God's promises. 
You'll find people in certain tough situations isolating themselves, thinking that is what they want or maybe that's what they need. Um, you know, maybe that's what they, they just feel like doing. But they not only isolate themselves from the people of God, but also they're not opening their Bibles. They're not reminding themselves of God's faithfulness, of God's promises that are all throughout the Scripture. These promises remind us that no matter what life throws at us, God is still in control. Verse 20, it starts out, says, but while Joseph was there in prison, right there in jail, God was with him. Joseph wasn't waiting for God to show up to rescue him. The Lord was with him right there. Verse 21, it says, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. We will see this repeat again and again. Uh, we, we saw it already with Potiphar. We'll see it again with Pharaoh. And, uh, you know, God was with Joseph. And Joseph, you know, found favor in God's eyes. And other people responded to God's favor. They sense something is different with this young man. And, and part of it is his work ethic that we talked about last week and his attitude about... <clears throat> no matter what job we're in, no matter what position in life we're in, we represent the Lord. So our attitude and our actions and our work ethic and all that should follow that. But there's also something else about God, I mean, about Joseph that, that the, those around him are, are experiencing and understanding, and that is the Holy Spirit. I wonder, if the, I wonder if the warden ever went home to his wife and said, man, we got this new prisoner. He, he's so different he doesn't complain. I don't even understand it. He does what he's asked to do. I kind of like him. I've even started giving him kind of responsibilities, you know, assignments within the jail. Verse 22, it says, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison. <clears throat> and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, the Hebrew there where it says the Lord was with Joseph. Not one of the so-called Egyptian gods. The Egyptians had gods for everything. But God made Joseph prosper in a terrible environment. Joseph didn't need a perfect environment to live the right way and to make good choices. We can experience this in our own lives. Especially when we're waiting for God to get us out of a jam. Usually that jam is something we put ourselves into. We discover that when we settle down, we stop ranting and raving about the situation, you know, that we're in this terrible situation. But here he spends 13 years in a terrible prison, and all that time, God was with him. God was with him. Experiencing the difference between what life has done, and what God is doing. God is saying, I am with you. We need to remember that. 2,000 years after Joseph, God comes to us and you know, uh, comes to be with us. And, and people love seeing Jesus being with them and he, they wanted to be around, with the, you know, be around him. And, and God was with us. He was a great rabbi. But then after his death and resurrection, he left they hated that thought. They wanted him with them. But the very last thing he said before he left, he said, I am always with you. 
there's not a time when God is not with us. Oftentimes we kind of feel like that, but, but God is always with us. Like I keep telling my son, I have eyes in the back of my head. I know what you're doing. I'm with you always. And I'm trying to convince him of that. But, he, you know, he, he's about eight now, and he's starting to understand that dad doesn't always know what's going on. I'm like, man, you know, those first seven years were awesome. Now, you know, we'll see. But God, on the other hand, he's always with us. Back in verse 21, it said, The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor. Kindness and mercy and compassion, a, a faithful grace. This is what God gave to Joseph. He also gave him favor in the eyes of the warden, and this was huge. The warden is drawn to this guy. He likes this guy, and this is what he gave him daily. God gave him kindness and favor, and that kindness and favor also available to us. It can be much more evident during the tough times versus the easy times in our lives. But God doesn't enjoy the situations when, when, when we're in a negative situation. God doesn't enjoy that either. But he does enjoy us. He allows trials in our lives, and he is right there with us during those trials. He can also cause other people to be in the prison with us to actually like us. We think, well, of course they would like me. I mean, what is there you know, about me that there isn't to like, right? We all kind of feel that way. Some of us come to understand certain things about us there may be you know that people may not like there are certain personalities that, that do not you know get along with yours but you need you need them to like you in advance but there's nothing you can do to get them to like you that that is god's grace they're always, it seems like they're always there when you mess up or something but what we need to do is relax and say lord if you want this warden, if you want this boss, if you want this coworker to, 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 to like me, to favor me, then you need to allow it. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, being faithful and working hard, showing up early, being the last to leave, working hard. Then if you want them to favor me, that would be great. Now we think, well, that is all great and everything, but, but I mean, Joseph, he's still in jail. How can you say that God loves him and favors him? Well, I'm not saying that. The Word of God is saying that. See, we need to get to that point of, of going, well, well, no, it's not the pastor saying it. It's not the preacher saying that. It's not so-and-so saying that. The Word of God says that he found favor, and that's important. So, you know, here's some key words that surround the stories of, of Bible, you know, these historical heroes from Genesis to, uh, to Revelation. Mercy and grace and loving kindness and compassion and favor and faithfulness. You want to do a great study, start looking up some of these words and find them. I mean... A great website for that is Blue, Blue Letter Bible. There's others out there. Or you could actually get a, a book called a concordance and actually flip through it and start looking up words and verses that go along with that. It, it lists all the times that, you know, a word is used in a certain way. And, and you think, well, that will take a long time. Well, oh, my. You might miss an episode of Sister Wives or something. I don't know. <laughs> These words remind us of the very nature of God surrounding the people of God, who come to find out many were treated very well, but circumstances around them 
They had to trust in the Lord. Whether they were treated well or bad, they had to trust in the Lord. In other words, not allowing the circumstances to dictate their attitudes on a daily basis. Let's actually get into chapter 40 today. It says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had its meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's official, who was in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? I mean, think about it. It's just prison, guys. I mean, why are you looking so sad? Let's have a great attitude. No pity parties down here. Notice Joseph isn't really thinking about himself. He's, he's focusing on other people. We've talked about this in the past, how sometimes we can get down in the dump, something's going on. If we put our focus on other people, it kind of lifts our attitude. It's, it's one way for us to forget about a, a tough situation. I mean, when Lisa and I took uh, Grayson, our youngest, he's three and a half now, but, you know, he had, uh, for those that don't know, he had a heart condition, uh, born with one, and he had to have surgery about a year old uh, on a different part of his body. It hadn't to do with his heart, but it was very interesting. We were not worried about the surgery and stuff. I mean, the Lord had done many miracles around a whole bunch of things, and we were just like, okay, well, surgery, yeah. Okay, well, we're trusting the Lord on all this. But, you know, what was interesting is walking around the hospital... The kids that we met and the families that we met while we're there at Stanford and the Children's Hospital there, it was amazing because there was much more serious things going on. And we're just like, well, what are you here for? You know, we were almost embarrassed to say why we were here. The only reason why we were doing the surgery up there was because of his heart, and they just wanted to keep an eye on it. But compared to the things that he was going through, compared to the other people, it was just amazing the difference between the two. Joseph could have easily justified a self-pity party, you know? Why am I even here? I did nothing wrong. But here he is interpreting these guys' dreams. This is interesting because we all have dreams about life. We all have these desires about life. What we want to do. All the things that happen. None of Joseph's dreams have come true. At 17, he was beaten up, thrown, and sold, and, you know, and ended up in prison. All At 17... Yet he's interpreting <coughs> other people's little dreams. Verse 8, it says, We both had, had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, we're talking about, like, sleeping dreams here, you know. I went to sleep and I had a dream. But I can't help to think about life dreams, life goals also here. And how we go to God and we say, here is my dream, help me fulfill my dream. And God says, wait, those are your dreams. We need to tap in the dreams of God for for our life. You know, what is it, Psalms uh, 37.4 or 38.4, something like that. You know, where it talks about uh, our desires and our desires becoming God's desires. 
And, you know, when, when the, God will give us the desires of our heart, but what happens is he gives those desires to us and our desires match up with God's desires and it all becomes one desire. It's not a separate thing. Verse 9, it says, So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh would lift you up, uh, lift up your head, and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. This is very dangerously specific. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, well, I, I think this might happen. No, this is very specific. If Joseph is wrong, in 72 hours, everyone will know that he is fake, and what he said is God was going to do to interpret it is not correct. It's not like a, a fortune teller says, you're going to experience love in the future, you know, and you're like, okay, what does that mean? No, then he goes on, he adds this. But when all goes well with you, in verse 14, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. I, I was forcibly carried off from the land of Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve to be put in the dungeon. I love that he's still wanting to fight about this. You know what I mean? He's still, he, he's following, he, he's being diligent <coughs> in, in the situation the Lord's given him, but he's also sitting there going, I haven't given up. This is what's happened to me. You know, he's not giving up going, well, I guess it's God's will for me. No, he's saying, I hate it here. I love that God is in charge, but I don't think that this is God's destiny for me. In verse 16, it goes on and says, When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given favor, a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kind of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket of my head. I mean, the guy's thinking, okay, well, here it comes. This is going to be great, you know? Verse 18, this is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh would lift your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Take that back. No, no, no. Can we redo this interpretation? You know, wow. Verse 20, now the third day, Pharaoh's, birth was birthday, uh, Pharaoh's birthday party, and he gave feasts for all the officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put <coughs> the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impelled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in the interpretation. Man, what a party this must have been, you know? Wow. Imagine the, the planners of the party. Okay, we're going to release one guy and we're going to impel the other guy, okay? What's the timing on it, you know? I mean, Wow. Uh, I, you know, I could imagine somebody going, I, I suggest we serve the food way early before, you know, all this goes on. Now, you know, the cupbearer must have been really happy, of course. He went to Pharaoh and said, let me tell you about the guy who told me I was getting out of prison, right? I mean, that's what we would do. We'd be really excited about it. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Wow. It doesn't say that he told Pharaoh and Pharaoh blew him off. It doesn't say he thought about telling him, but he forgot. No, it says he forgot. He did not remember. I mean, 
Think about this. Not one of those times in front of Pharaoh did he ever say, let me tell you a story. Not one of those times. How could he be so ungrateful to forget a friend like Joseph? I think this must have been one of Joseph's lowest moments in his life. Lower than getting beat up and sold into slavery by your brothers. Lower than being falsely accused. Lower than being thrown in the prison. Here was his chance. Here was his, you know, his connection, his hope of being raised out of this prison. But, but no way, this guy, I mean, there's no way this guy's going to forget about him. And what happened? The guy totally forgets about him. I mean, he probably had his bags packed and everything. You know, what little he had, but nothing happened. How in the world could Joseph hang on to hope when there's no hope around him? How could he stay faithful to God when it seems that God is being unfaithful to him from a human standpoint? How is Joseph supposed to trust God with no evidence? Joseph didn't have the people of God around him to help him with this. He didn't have the promises of God because the Bible hadn't been written yet. I mean, you know, we're reading Genesis, but he was living Genesis. I mean, he didn't have 14 different translations at home. He doesn't know how it ends. David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, the dark valley of the shadow of death. Job wrote about this. He says, I've had it rough, but even if you kill me, I would still love you. This is what Jesus was doing that awful afternoon as he was suspended on the cross with nails. He was reaching out to other people, giving them faith and hope and a belief in the Father who he felt had abandoned him. But in the middle of all that feeling of abandonment, he was thinking, hey, Father, this guy over here, this guy over here hanging on the cross, just like me, or those guys down there with the hammers and the nails, or that guy over there that's that's winning my cloak. These guys, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Where does hope come from? We shouldn't just read a story of the life of Joseph and say, well, I need to be just more like him. Let's go all go out and try to be like that. See, we, we tend to forget one thing. Hope comes from being with God. Hope comes from the scriptures. God was with him, and that's the key of the story. If God hadn't been with him, I, I, I would assume he would have been suicidal several times over. He's now approaching 30 years of life And his life keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And guess what? God is with him. And God is somehow giving him faith. The faith of his great-great-grandfather, Abraham, or his great-grandfather. But he's so far removed from anyone of faith that he still has it. He is living the life of faith. See, faith is only proven to us during tough times because when life is easy, we don't need so much faith, do we? Some ask why God will allow me to go through this tough time in my, <coughs> in my life. Well, we just spent 35 minutes talking about that to give you more faith. God allows certain things to happen in our life to give us more faith, to test us in that faith. Joseph's life teaches us that God, God orders both our steps and our stops. We don't like that. God's timing is rather rarely synced with ours. 
It's never too early. It's never too late. In the meantime, this is how we feel. God is being mean to us sometimes. Like the, the, you know, the person who wants a child. God, when will this happen? Or a person who raised a child and, and, and you know, they grow up and they want that child to be near them and yet they live somewhere else. Or, or they're near but they, they don't really have a relationship. They can't get through to them. The Spirit of God is saying, I am with you. Don't forget or maybe the person who feels like they're stuck somewhere in life and this is not my goal. I don't know how I ended up here. God is saying, don't worry. I am with you. In the meantime, God is with us. So don't give up because these things will pass. God will get us through to the other side because God is with us. Now, sometimes there's a delay in that called God's timing. Chapter 41, it says, when two full years have passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh has two dreams, and it brings in all these interpreters and all these different people, and no one could interpret the dreams. Uh, the butler at some point picks up on all the commotion. You know, what's going on? And then after two years, the light bulb goes off in his head going, hey, I know a guy who can do this. Let me tell you the story. He's in your basement. Down in verse 14, it says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he quickly brought him up from the dungeon when he had shaved and changed clothes he came before pharaoh now we kind of talked about this last week and the egyptians and the whole uh shaving the whole body and stuff uh i mean it's weird the bible says he shaved i mean he shaved from head to toe uh, because that was the egyptians a, a shaved face was absolutely necessary even a shaved head and you know they thought body hair was pretty much disgusting and and they kind of had good reason for it because the climate that they lived in, they had lice and all these different things uh, going on. But, but you see, you see pharaohs with, with beards ever so often. They were glued on beards, okay? They would take the beards, they would have it all clean and everything, the hair and clean, and then they would glue it on for certain things. Uh, the, even the female pharaohs would wear beards. It was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, but they didn't let any of the male advisors have one. Uh, the women would shave their heads and then wear wigs and so forth. So, you know, next time you, we talk about Joseph and, and, and crying, imagine makeup coming down his face because the men wore makeup just like the women did. It's a whole different culture at that point. You know, so they're like, okay, well, let's bathe them, put them on linens and bring them into Pharaoh. Verse 15, it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, nice shave, buddy. You know, I mean, cleaned up well. I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I heard it said of you, and when you ha hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love this. He goes, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Not me, but God. This is a beautiful response. On the day he gets out of prison, you, you would think that he'd be like, I'm the man, I know it. I can do this. But he says, I can't do it, but God can the Hebrew actually says, God will give you a shalom answer, a peaceful answer. In other words, an answer that you can live with. Verse 17, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dreams I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river comes up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows, that came up first, but even after they ate them, no one could tell that they were had done so. They looked so ugly as before. Then I woke up, and I'm sure Joseph was thinking, "What did you eat for dinner, buddy? I mean, 
But wait, that's not all. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads had sprouted, withered and thin and scorched to the east wind. The, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven uh, good heads. I told this to, to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Now, it's interesting. Joseph doesn't even have to think about it because God immediately gives him the answer to the dreams. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so the uh, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. There are seven years of famine. It is just as I have said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. And then all the ab abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance of the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows. It will be so severe." The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Now, like any wise person, when you present a problem to somebody, what do you do? You give them the answer. You ever notice that? You, you love people that bring you problems, right? No, you like people that bring you problems, but they, they think they have a solution for it. Joseph is like this, verse 33. And let Pharaoh look at the discerning and wise man put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the foods, those good years that are coming up, and store them grain under the authority of the Pharaoh, but, keep, uh, but be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seems good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. This is great. Everybody agrees. No one's plotting. No one's being jealous. No one's trying to manipulate the situation. Everybody, you know, pretty much trying to, to chant, uh, you know, Joseph's name. This is like when you take a meeting and you just rock the meeting, you know. I mean, you walk out going, that, that was great, and everybody knows it was great, and everybody agrees it was great. I don't know where it came from, but wow. In those situations, we have to give God the credit or you will fall pretty quickly. God did this for Joseph. He goes on in verse 38. So Joseph asked him, can we, or Pharaoh asked him, or them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the spirit of, one in whom is the spirit of God? So wow, for the third time here, polytheistic Egyptian is saying that God dwells in this guy and we're lucky to have him. Potiphar said it, the warden said it, and now Pharaoh is saying it. The baker and the butler saw it, but now all of Pharaoh's court is going to see it, and the rest of Egypt, and many of those people around that area in the world, and then, you know, they will forget later on, but here they've recognized it. But most important of all, Joseph is seeing it. He is 30 years old at this point. 17-year-old sold into slavery. So the last 13 years, his life has been in turmoil. Verse 39, it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning as wise as you. Verse 40, You shall, see, you shall be in charge of all the palace and all my peoples and submit to, your, uh, submit to your orders. 
Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring and from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of the fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride, he had him ride in a chariot as second command, and people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of <coughs> Egypt. Then he goes, but I have to do something about your name. I can't pronounce Joseph. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name, and I can't pronounce this name. And it means lifesaver. And gave him uh, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he had entered the service of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out... <coughs> from Pharaoh's presence, and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food that produced in the seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manassas, and the name means causing to forget. See, God is, God is blessing Joseph to the point where it causes him to forget his past trials. You see that? When great things happen to us, it causes us to forget the negative things that happen in our lives. So we need to recognize that the great things come from God. All that pain and stuff, this is helping him move on. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. The second name, he, uh, second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful <coughs> in the land of my suffering. The first son means to forget and the second means to be fruitful. Here's the question. Do you think the reason you haven't been fruitful is maybe because you're holding on to the past? You see, we can't move forward if we're holding on to the past. If we're holding on to the luggage. Now, it's interesting. When you move, what do you normally do? You go through all your stuff, and you figure out, what do I not need to take? And you throw that away, or you give it away. You donate it. You do something with it. In the first years of my wife and I's marriage, you know, we've been married a little over 25 years, we moved often, you know, young, and you move from, you get an apartment, then you move into condo, you know, you do all these things, and we moved about every two years there for, for a good amount of time, and it seemed like, man, we just kept paring down, because we, you know, we got great at moving. Now, if you ask me to move today, <laughs> okay, the Lord has blessed us, we have a three-car garage. We used to have three cars, and all three cars, you know, father-in-law lived with us, all three cars fit in the garage. Well, right now, since he's passed away and we're in transition, all his old stuff is in the garage. We have two cars now, and neither one of those are in the garage. You see my point? We get baggage, we get stuff, and we got to go through it, and we got to donate it or give it away, do these things that you normally do. Well, in our spiritual life, it's the same way. We can't move forward if we're holding on to the past, if our garage is full. You see my point? Joseph could have lamented his whole life. This is, let me tell you the story of what happened. And it come from a negative bent. Or Joseph could say, man, let me tell you how God made me forget things. And he could tell the story from a positive way. 
The question is, what story are you going to tell about your life? Is it a, a story of faithfulness that when I went through these difficult times, the Lord has still blessed me and the Lord was with me? Or is it a story of forgetfulness in the sense of forgetting God, of going, man, my life has been one of turmoil and, and, and pain. See, the Lord was with him. The question is, is the Lord with you? Now, I would dare say that most everybody here, almost everybody here, uh, I pretty much know everybody here, uh, pretty much, but you would all say, yeah, the Lord is with me. Well, then is your story a positive one? Are you going to the Lord? Are you reading the scripture about his faithfulness? Are you reading the Old Testament and the New Testament and seeing who God is and how he relates to them and therefore how does God relate to me? What are you doing about your Christian walk? You know, we love the, are you walking the walk and talking the talk? And, you know, we love all those little platitudes. But it really boils down to, you can go through difficult situations and God is still with you. And do you recognize that during those difficult times? That's what the story of Joseph at this point is about. Now, there's many things the story of Joseph is about. But right here, this is what the Lord has for us. Let's not forget that the Lord is is with us. Amen? Well, let's pray. Lord, I pray that we can look at those people like Joseph and, and not necessarily compare our lives, Lord, but, but to understand what you've done in his life and, and how you relate to us and, and, and how you are with us, that through thick and thin, through, through difficult situations in our life, that you are right there. And we have a choice, Lord. Do we recognize you or, or do we not? And I pray that you give us the faith to recognize you. The understanding of, of how you can be there in the middle of, uh, of hard situations and, and how you can be there in the middle of great situations that we would recognize you in both. That you were faithful because we are your children, Lord. And you love your children. And we pray, Lord, that you, you help us recognize that. As it says in the, in the New Testament, Lord, I believe, but help me believe. Help us believe, Lord. Help us be faithful. Help us be gracious, to this world that needs so much grace. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. Whether you're in the dungeon or whether you're in the palace, the Lord is with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.